0: Uh, good morning. It's great to be here this morning um, to talk about uh, the Sermon of the Mount with you. Specifically today, we're looking at the topic of revenge. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Toby, and please let me extend my, the welcome to all you guys. Great to see you today, especially to see Tom back here. Great to have you back, man. We well, walked in this morning. Ah, so, oh, Tom's here. Awesome. So good to see you. Revenge. Now, it's been a pretty shocking week for news uh, this week, and. While I was preparing this sermon, I actually originally came out from a bit of a comedic, trying-to-be-funny angle. And I had to rewrite a lot of it this week because of the news um, from the States. Um, revenge, are uh, pictures that will say more than I can, I can say We've had a shocking week, and I say names like Eric Garner to you, Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, uh, black men killed by the police in America. On average, there's a black man killed by a white policeman uh, every 26 hours in the United States of America. One every 26 hours. 100 black people last year were killed who were unarmed. Um, it's, a real, real, it's a real shocking, there should be shocking statistics, and there's a real problem uh, with, with the racist culture in, in America. Um, and then this week we saw uh, a, a response from one man to that uh, as, as four white policemen were shot dead in Dallas. Um, the shooter saying he intended, he wanted to kill white people, specifically white policemen. It's just heart wrenching to hear. Shocking. It's the sort of news that makes your, your heart wrench and your stomach turn and your eyes gloss over. And this morning we look at this topic of revenge. Revenge uh, means to inflict hurt or harm on someone for an injury or a wrong done to oneself. Uh, Revenge is a theme of many films, um, albeit not the most wholesome ones, most often. Um, But revenge comes up very often, even in in your Disney films. And one of my favourite quotes about revenge comes from Mr. Buzz Lightyear, um, who after being knocked out of a window by Woody, says to him, I just want you to know that even though you tried to terminate me, revenge is not an idea we promote on my planet. But we're not on my planet, are we? And I really like that quote because what that shows there is that most of us would say like ideologically, ethically, revenge is wrong. But that doesn't mean that we don't really want it sometimes or so have that feeling of this is, I need revenge. You know what I mean? We, we, it, our, our feelings go counter to our ethics very often when we get to the topic of revenge. A lot of people have perspectives on revenge, but whose could be better than the author and perfecter of our faith, King Jesus? And so we look today to probably his most famous talk, the Sermon on the Mount, and see what that teaches about revenge. It could be argued, and it has been argued, that the Sermon on the Mount is the most influential, most world-changing speech that has ever been given. When we look at people like Gandhi, uh, we know that the Sermon of the Mount, even though he was a Hindu, he loved Jesus and he loved the Sermon of the Mount. And it was from the Sermon of the Mount that he got his idea to do his non-violent protests um, in South Africa and then India. And then in turn, of course, Martin Luther King, um, so influenced by this, this speech, this talk. And it's an amazing, amazing sermon. And it is radical. And it is the speech of the underdog, of the underlooks. It brings, to, brings hope to people who don't have hope. and and allows perseverance for those who are struggling. There's so much in the Sermon on the Mount that you hear it and you're like, yeah, that is so well put, that is so radical, and that speaks so much into my situation. And what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is it's practical. Often um, when I do talks, I'm too theology heavy and not uh, put it into practice enough. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is very practical, and it can be put straight into people's lives. We're going to look now to Matthew chapter 5, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 20 and then 38 to 44. Could I possibly have a drink of water, Claire? Is there one around that I can't see? i oh, sorry, thank you so much. Okay, and we read from verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Thank you so much. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, if you were to ask people what the most famous speech of all time is or was, I think a lot of people would say, it's I Have a Dream by Martin Luther King. An amazing monologue um, by Martin Luther King who, who describes what an integrated America could look like with such passion and such power. And part of the reason it's such an effective speech is his use of repetition. I have a dream that one day my children will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. I have a dream. And it's that repetition that kind of keeps it going. It's got this rhythm. And in the same way, Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount uh, uses a similar tactic Um, We can see in verse 17, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's not what I'm here to do. Jesus is here to fulfill the law and the prophets. What is the law and the prophets? The law and the prophets is shorthand for the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to do away with what has already been said and what has already been written. I'm here to fulfill that. If you've ever read the story of the transfiguration and thought, what on earth is happening there? This is... um, The Gospel writer is showing that Jesus is the fulfilment of the law and the prophets. Moses here represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, and then Jesus arrives speaking with them to show that he's here to fulfil, not to do away with what has come before. He's not reinventing, he is fulfilling. Psalm 19 verse 7 says that the law is perfect. So if the law is perfect, why does Jesus need to come along and fulfil it? Why does it need fulfilling? And uh, what follows in uh, Jesus' talk is a series of this repetition uh, where Jesus keeps saying, you have heard that it says this, but I tell you this. You've heard this, but actually this. Not A, but B. It's got this lovely momentum, this rhythm to it. If we look at verse 20, uh, we see that Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus has come to fulfil the law. This could be him pointing out that no one is perfect, um, that all have, have fallen short of the glory of God. It could be a deliberate uh, comment about the Pharisee's ability to constantly misunderstand the point of the law and give it over to their legalistic ways. Or maybe here he's like a parent who's found a child misusing something. It's um, a picture here uh, from The Simpsons where Lisa's found a croquet set and rather than use it to play croquet, she's used it to pin Bart down and hit him with the mallet. You can imagine a parent coming along going, "Ah, oh, I see you found the croquet set. That's not what you're supposed to do with it. Let me show you. In the same way, Jesus here is like, "Ah, oh, I see you found the law. You're doing it wrong. Let me just show you how it's meant to be done. Of course, classic, uh, the little mermaid there, Ariel thinks the fork is for her. She's using the fork to comb her hair with. That ain't right. <laughs> In the same way, Jesus has is, is come across the Pharisees and the people of Israel at the time being like, that ain't right. Let me help you. The, you'll find in the Bible, if you, um, if you look at what the original says, it does say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus here drops this bomb. He says, let me fill the law for you. Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Now, I teach uh, RS at a local school, and um, often the question comes up, um, how come Jesus is contradicting himself here? I thought Jesus was God. If God says in the Old Testament an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But then in the New Testament, he says, turn the other cheek. That is a contradiction. That is not right. And my kids, are very astute, putting their hand up straight away. Sir, what's all this about? One student once said, um, sir, how come um, in the Old Testament, God is real angry and real violent? And then in the New Testament, he's so nice. Before I even had a chance to answer, one of my students, Charlotte, jumped in and said, oh, is that because he had kids? I was like, yeah, I like that. um." Oh, lover, uh, total sincerity that came from. Um, yeah, great kid. Um, but Jesus is not abolishing the rule, the, the rules. He's not abolishing the law. He is fulfilling it. He is making it right. He's making it easier to understand the people of Israel and rescuing it from the abuse uh, that the perfect law has had in the hands of the legalistic Pharisees. You have heard it said, "An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth," and you'll find that in the Old Testament, at least three times. Pow. Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. And when it's used, it's never directed at individuals. It's never saying to people, right, if you're treated this way, you treat them back. It's always to rulers. It's always to people in power who are in charge of dealing with uh, legal issues and sorting out justice and, and fair treatment for everyone. Um, it's like a guideline for people in power. So, right, we've got a head teacher in our school, and a head teacher has to think about, right, uh, you've done this thing wrong, we need to work out what's fair to make this right again. It's a guideline for people in power. Uh, You'll never find a story in the Old Testament of anyone actually, all right, you've lost an eye, let's take yours out now. It's a guideline. Um, And there's a fine line between retribution and revenge, but there is a line, and this helps uh, people in in charge uh, work that out. God's rulers were taught this, they were also taught to be merciful and compassionate. Jesus is not here contradicting what has gone before. He's fulfilling it. It's like if you've ever been skiing, get stuck in a, in a whiteout moment, you need to find your way back to the peace. Jesus is guiding us back there, guiding us back to what the law is all about and what the purpose of the law is rather than the letter of the law. And it is radical, turn the other cheek. It's like, it's, it's kind of beyond pacifism. It's, it's like, not only do you not, should you not fight back, you're gonna take a hit and it's gonna hurt but also you're not to run away. It's not saying when you get a problem and you get hurt, run away from the problem, stay in the problem, face the problem, head on. Stand your ground, face the situation. When we read on to the next part, it says that if anyone wants your shirt, give them your coat too. If you're asked to go one mile, go two. Lots have been said about this, you can read up about, but um, at the time Romans could ask Israelites, If they were tired, for example, Roman Cacoggins might say, "Well, I want you to carry my pack for a mile. Um, And they say, I want your coat, and you'd have to hand it over. And Jesus here is, and there's lots of ways of interpreting this, and and lots of people have got different takes on it. Um, I I, I think it's suggesting that we're called to do all we can to fix a situation, to build a bridge, to use our resources. Even if we're being harmed and hurt, we use our resources to make it right and and do the best on our part as we can um, to fix a situation. Martin Luther King uh, was a young man in Alabama um, in what at the time was an abhorrently racist society. Uh, Where segregation meant horrific treatment for those who were black. They were forced to suffer as second-class citizens and they were persecuted by the Ku Klux Klan, uh, which in the 1960s had 50,000 members. Um, In the late 1800s they had actually over 4 million members, huge organisation at the time. Uh, They also suffered uh, under the hands of the police as well, um, even more so than today. And Martin Luther King was actually 26 years old uh, when he, f- he started leading the, the, the Montgomery bus boycott, which is crazy, 26 years old. I'm 29, that's three years younger than me, and there he was taking on America, taking on ideology. And he reflected on this time a bit later in life, and he said this, when I went to Montgomery as a pastor, I had not the slightest idea that I would later become involved in a crisis in which nonviolent resistance would be applicable. I neither started the protest nor suggested it I simply responded to the call of the people for a spokesman when the protest began my mind consciously or unconsciously was driven back to the sermon on the mount with its sublime teaching on love and the Gandhian method of nonviolent resistance nonviolent resistance now this is not new to the new testament if we read the old testament we can see that daniel and his friends also uh, responded with nonviolent resistance uh, when they were told to to obey a law they didn't agree with we can also see in the early church, uh, under the Neronian persecution, we saw Christians fed to lions, burnt as human candles, and slaughtered by Roman soldiers. It was nonviolent resistance then too. Martin Luther King, by the grace of God, was able to understand something that many of our world leaders today cannot seem to grasp, that the way to respond to abuse is with love. One of my favorite Martin Luther King quotes um, is is when he says that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love your neighbor. Now, I could talk to you all day about Martin Luther King, uh, but I've only got 20 minutes and uh, I've probably said too much already. Um, But he understood what the Pharisees didn't understand to love your enemy. Verse 43 says, you've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Now, love your neighbour, you'll find in Leviticus 19, verse 18. But I will give you £100 if you can find hate your enemy anywhere in the Bible. It is not in there. This is a second teaching that was added by the rabbis and passed around as though it was Scripture. You see, the, the Pharisees were so legalistic. They wanted to do the law and they wanted to do it like, as tight as they could. And they knew that love your neighbour was an important commandment. And that is why, who is my neighbour, was such a massive question at Jesus' time. Because they only wanted to love like, the finite amount of people. It's like when your mum says, tidy your room and you go upstairs and you just tidy, maybe like, you, you make the bed and you're done. And your mum goes up and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, tidy the room. And you're like, yeah, tidy the room, the bed is made. What, what more do you want from me? They wanted to do the minimum possible. So it's like, I will love my neighbour and I will also hate my enemy. Who is my neighbour? Obviously not the Canaanites or the Samaritans or the Romans. They can't be my neighbour. I'm going to hate them. Uh, and that was a very popular teaching. So Jesus here is just making it as clear as possible who your neighbour is when he says, love your enemies. You've got to love everyone. You don't have people who are outside of that command for you. Jesus here again is fulfilling the law. Pray for those who persecute you. Interestingly, when Jesus is asked, uh, who is my neighbour, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm not sure we remember how that one worked out. Again, not new to the Old Testament. Uh, Sorry, not new to the uh, New Testament. In Proverbs 25, verse 23, it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him uh, bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Love your enemies. So why? Why should we love our enemies? If we look to the second part of that quote from Proverbs, we see that it says, in doing this, in loving our enemies, we reap burning heap burning coals on their head. That is a weird phrase. Lots of people, again, have said different things about this. Um, I think the most... What I think probably the most realistic one is, it's not a literal putting burning coals on someone's head. Uh, it's a guidance that this is a, a practically a good thing to do. If someone's well out of order to you and you love them back, hopefully that will cause them to feel shame. You ever had that feeling before when you've been speaking about someone who's not in the room and then you find out they're behind you and you're like, ooh, that shame feeling... Maybe you've never felt that, that'd be great, but I think that's what this is suggesting out here. So firstly, it's a good rule because it might have good practical outcome and that the person who's abusing you or hurting you uh, might stop what they're doing. Secondly, it's been said before that if you refuse to forgive someone, it's like drinking poison hoping that they're going to die because it just harms yourself. Um... Martin Luther King, again, he used non-violence, and he did that for many reasons. But one of the reasons he said was that he needed to win the hearts of white people without losing the hearts of black people in the process. He said he didn't want to swap one tyranny for another. Yes, we get rid of the white supremacist uh, ideology in our country, but we replace it with an idea that it's okay to be violent. And he, he was really, that was really important to him that that didn't happen. And thirdly... Revenge uh, means retaliation and escalation. Martin Luther King's plan at the time in the 1960s was to hold up a mirror to the people of America and show them what the ugly truth of racism looks like. He said, if we respond to violence and abuse with violence and abuse, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. If we show a reflection back, we reflect it back with love, then hopefully, eventually, after some period of time, people will realise what racism is really about. And they'll see it for what it is and they'll stop doing it. How? I'm sure some people are thinking, how, Toby? You're standing there talking about revenge. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the pain I'm suffering right now. How can I just drop that and not want revenge anymore? It's a good question. Martin Luther King uh, once was stabbed by a deranged woman uh, inches away from his aorta. Uh, He was once pummeled on stage uh, in, in Birmingham by a man who ran on and began to beat him. And these guys came to pull this guy off and Martin Luther King said, no, don't touch him, let him hit me, we need to pray for him. He was beaten up in police custody too many times to count, unjustly arrested many times. His followers had Alsatian dogs released on him. they had their heads cracked with night sticks, ribs broken by uh, water jets. It's not easy, it's not easy not to take revenge. I'm not even saying it's possible. But remember what Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. So how do we not take revenge? The first thing, we've got the best role model possible. Jesus, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and was crucified. Died for us. If there was anyone who could stand up and say, don't treat me like this, buddy, I've done nothing to deserve this, it was Jesus, the perfect, wonderful, saviour Jesus, who embraced the marginalised, hated, and the bullied of society. He spent his time with the homeless and the sinners, making people aware how much they were loved, healing their diseases, standing up for injustice, teaching about peace and reconciliation, and they nailed him to a cross and watched. And as he died, they disrespected him. And what did he say when he was on the cross? Forgive them, Father, they know not what they're doing. Wow. We need to know and be reminded every day of how ridiculously we have been forgiven and use that as a spring box to forgive others. We're forgiven out of love by the grace of God. We've not earned it it's a gift. Who are we to withhold our forgiveness from others after we have been forgiven so much? My Luther King said that um, as a Christian, the cross you carry always supersedes the crown you wear. The cross you carry always supersedes the crown you wear. And as a Christian, we, we are expecting to suffer and it's through the suffering of life that God moulds us and makes us into the character of his son. Got a great role model. And verse 44 says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This stuff can be so difficult, really, really difficult. But we have a God who is for us. A God who will never leave us or forsake us. A God who is in the business of building bridges, not walls. And if we don't have the strength to forgive, he does and he will make a way. Uh, my best friend Lee, who I know some of you have met, um, he was our best man at his wedding, he'll be best man at my wedding. Uh, he's a lovely, lovely boy, gentle, gentle lad. And two, three years ago, uh, he was walking home from a night out, it was his birthday, with his little sister. And two uh, gentlemen arrived, use the word gentleman loosely, um, and started harassing his sister, being quite unpleasant to her. And he went up and said, Look, I'm sorry guys, like, it's my birthday, can you just leave us alone, we're just on our way home. And uh, they beat him up really badly. Like um, There's police footage of him on the floor, and on the CCTV footage you can see they're kicking him in the head. And they go away and come back and kick him in the head again while he's unconscious. It's shocking, he fractured his eye socket, um, his cheekbone, when I went to see him, um, he's he's known as Smiley Lee growing up, because he smiles all the time, and when he smiled, I can see the red blood section of his eye, about there, where his face had become deformed. Uh, the, people, the two people got caught and they got um, arrested, but then were released with a slap on the wrist to say, don't do it again. Um, and then what was really difficult for Lee was that every morning, uh, after a few weeks, he went back to work and he could see one of his attackers walking on the other side of the road, going to his work while he was going to his. Every morning, he saw him. And after some time, he thought, I can't do this anymore. So he walked over the road one morning when he saw him and stopped him. And he said to him, I know what happened. You know what happened. But I hate there's this animosity over us. I hate that I have live in a town uh, and have, be aware of this. So I just want you to know that I forgive you. And put out his hand to shake his hand. And this chap, he said, he said visually he changed. His whole body and facial expression changed. And he said, I hate myself for what happened. Every day I feel bad. He said, thank you so much for doing that for me. Powerful, powerful terms. Forgiveness, powerful thing. Okay, I'm going to... Bring it to an end there. I might just say a prayer, if you could bow your heads. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it speaks into our lives, into our situations. I thank you, Lord, that you died for us. I thank you, Lord, that you are the most amazing role model we have. I pray, Lord, for anyone here who is struggling with this topic at the moment, Lord, who has been wronged or hurt and, and wants fair treatment, Lord, wants to get their own back, can't let go of that, I just pray that you would help them to let go now, Lord. Hand it over to you and trust in you. Amen.